Amen. Amen. So uh, we're, we're looking at leadership from the perspective of uh, Jesus as the, the supreme leader uh, and as his desire to form us into the same. And we talked last time that Jesus didn't come into this world to call followers, but he came to build leaders. That's what he desired to do. And when he called the 12, he wasn't seeking uh, to have people that would just follow, but rather he wanted to teach them to also then lead. And if Jesus has called you here this morning, if you belong to him, then his desire is to make you a leader in some capacity. And uh, that'll have a different um, bearing depending on the individual place he's given to you and and what that means in the context of your life. But he wants you to be a leader, and he wants you to be a good leader. And so last week we looked at uh, four characteristics of a bad leader, or four flawed leaders. And we looked at the controlling leader. We looked at uh, King Saul, which was the kind of the quintessential example of a controlling leader. And the problem with a controlling leader is that they breed compliance, uh, but not competence. A controlling leader will... Um, will build followers, but will not build someone who's also able then to shoulder a load. We looked also at the critical leader. And the problem with the critical leader is that the critical leader creates fear, but kills confidence. Uh, so if someone is critical, constantly criticizing those um, that are following them, then that person is going to be filled with fear and they're always going to be uh, nervous about doing things and always uh, concerned more about pleasing the person that they're following rather than um, being confident and competent in the task and at the mission at hand. We also talked about the avoiding leader, the one who doesn't like conflict uh, and doesn't like confrontation. And the problem with the avoiding leader is that they create disengaged followers. They give off the perception that the leader doesn't care, uh, or the, the perception is the leader doesn't care, and so the person then uh, begins to not care. And then finally, we talked about the rescuing leader, or the enabler, and the problem with the enabler is that they weaken the mission by weakening the team, because when they don't allow people to make mistakes and then make corrections, and they're constantly bailing them out, uh, then that person doesn't learn from their mistakes. They never grow and get stronger, and hence uh, the speed of the whole operation slows down. And that happens, we see, in a family. Uh, that can happen in a business or an organization. It can happen anywhere. Uh, people have to be able to shoulder their own load. And so uh, those four flawed leaders. And uh, the reason why we looked at those first is so that when we today look at a fifth type of leader, the developing leader, um, we look at the developing leader in the person of Jesus Christ, we have kind of a contrast or a backdrop uh, to compare that to. And so today we talk about the developing leader. And uh, when we talk about a developing leader, Jesus is the ultimate example because uh, he, he was uh, the book. He didn't write a book about leadership. He was the book about leadership. He is the ultimate leader. And so uh, as we look at Jesus from this vantage point of a good leader, what, what are the Christ-displayed characteristics of a developing leader? And, uh, you know, and, and, and the first part of this, really, there's no uh, one scripture that we look at, but we, we kind of look at him um, from, from kind of an elevation of sorts, and we uh, see him from a distance, but we see of Jesus, part, part of his character and what made him the leader that he was is that he was unshakably stable. 
He was very stable in his person. Um, and that, that, that was really represented by three things. First of all is that he was unmovably secure in himself. And that is that he knew exactly who he was as a, as a person uh, and as a leader uh, and in his mission. He knew what he was supposed to be, and that presented in him a type of a security. In John chapter 13, it was right before Jesus went to the cross, uh, he gathered with his disciples, and it was that Last Supper. And part of that whole evening, um, actually the very beginning of it, the very first thing that Jesus did before they had dinner, before he spoke a word to them, is, is he washed their feet. Uh, it's that passage of Scripture. It's only recorded in the Gospel of John, uh, where they all sat there, and all of a sudden Jesus took off his clothes. I mean, and the only thing that he had left on was like the, the bare garment way that would just cover him barely. And he took off his clothing, and he got down on his hands and knees, and he went around the table, and he washed each of their feet, and then he dried it with the towel. And just in utter silence, the only words exchanged were between Jesus and Peter, as Peter said, Lord, I can't let you do this. And Jesus, of course, said, unless you let me do this, you have no part with me. And, and then Jesus arose from it. And, and after it was all done, they just, he had their attention. You know, he didn't speak a word, and yet he was leading them. And, uh, and then he said, his, his commentary on that whole encounter was this. He said that if I, your Lord and Master, have done this for you, then this is what you ought to do for one another. But the, the thing that really um, speaks the loudest about that whole episode is what John records before Jesus did that. In the very first verses of John chapter 13, it says that Jesus, knowing where he had come from, and where he was going, stood up from the table, took off his clothing, and then began. So the, the context from which Jesus was able to take the lowest position in the room, literally that of washing their dirty feet, and then to declare himself their leader, it was the ultimate sign of security in his heart. And where did it come from? It came from the fact that he knew who he was. He knew where he had come from, and he knew where he was going. And, and once he had that level of security, he was able to do even the lowest thing, and he had no fear that anyone was going to be able to take away from him his dignity or the honor of his position or his place of leadership. He was completely secure in and of himself. Now, the most remarkable thing about the security of Jesus Christ is that it started at the very beginning of his ministry. Remember when Jesus was baptized and he came up out of the water? What was the first thing that the Father spoke to Jesus when he started his ministry? He said, this is my beloved son, that's identity, in whom I am well pleased, that's acceptance. And so where Jesus began his leadership, where his leadership began, the first words were identity and acceptance. And for you and I, it's the same thing. If we're ever going to be secure in our leadership, if there's going to be the stability of security, I know who I am, then my identity is that I am a child of God. That God looks down at me because I believe in Jesus Christ and because of the grace of Jesus and nothing else. My identity is that I am a child of God. That's who I am. I am not an, I'm not a byproduct of my successes or my failures, my gifts or my talents, my position or my place, my privilege. None of that defines who I am because all of those things can change or be taken from me. But the one thing that cannot be taken from me 
is that I belong to Jesus, that I belong to the Father. And if that is the source of my identity, then I am able to be secure in my place of leadership. And that's an invaluable trait, and we see it in Jesus. And acceptance goes right along with that. And so he was unmovably secure. He was also perfectly consistent. Is that when, when you saw Jesus or followed Jesus, you didn't know who you were going to get on a particular day. Well, did he get enough sleep? You know, did he, is he hangry? Did he eat right today? You know, uh, is, is he ticked off about something going on in his personal life? You know, who am I getting today when I'm following Jesus? And, and there was never one hint of that. He was perfectly stable and consistent in his personality and in his behavior and in his ways. Uh, he was relationally predictable. There was never a day where you expected Jesus to treat someone different then he would treat someone else in the same context and uh, the whole thing. Even his enemies were able to predict his behavior. I mean, how many times do you see Jesus and he would go into a situation and they knew how to set him up because they knew he'd be compassionate, <laughs> because they knew he'd heal on the Sabbath day. He was so incredibly consistent in the way that he dealt with his life and it led to his uh, stability and his leadership. And then the third thing that made him stable is that he was driven by the mission at hand. And, and I'll say it by saying this, is that Jesus lived every day of his earthly ministry fully aware of his why. Not his what, but his why. He knew why he was on earth. He knew why he was doing what he was doing. He knew why he was giving the messages that he was given. He knew why he was treating people the way that he was treating them. He was driven with a sense of the mission at hand. And that was the way that he lived his life. There's a big difference between living for a what and living for a why. See, our what is what we do. But we can get lost in our what. If we don't know why we're doing what we're doing, then we lose everything. And Jesus always had a handle on his why. He was undistractable. And I think that uh, that's an important element for you and I to consider is what is your why? Why do you do what you do? Why are you on this earth? And when you can get a handle on your why and you can let that drive your life, you become uh, mission-driven, and it lends to your consistency, and of course, then your security. And so we see that Jesus was unshakably stable, and that made him an incredible leader. When someone has that kind of a stability in their life, they automatically attract people to them. I mean, people, people that hadn't even heard Jesus teach yet or seen him do a miracle yet were flocking to be around him because there's something magnetic and something attractive about a person who's just stable. And when you know your identity and your purpose, when you're consistent and when you know your why, that's going to make you a stable leader. And that's what Jesus was. Here's an exercise for you to do, a way that you can kind of uh, evaluate your own um, stability and, and your own place in this, is, is to, to do two things. Number one is to write down on a piece of paper, what is your mission statement? What is the mission statement of your life? If you were to encapsulate your why, 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 why did God put you on this earth? What's the one purpose that he has for you? If you could boil it down to a single one, what is your mission statement? Now, second thing, number one is to do that. And usually that's, that's our ideal, right? You know, for me, I did this and mine was uh, to make other people better. 
You know, that was, that was part of it. It's part of what I, my mission is to make other people better, okay? That's part one. Now, part two is if the world around you was observing your life and behavior, what would they say your mission statement is? So one is, what do you want yours to be? Second, what is it really? <laughs> you know, if in all honesty, if God were to say, oh, by observing your life, I could tell you what your mission statement is. And, and for me, honestly, you know, if, if God were to say, yeah, that's a great ideal, Nick. But as I look at your life, it's really more like your mission statement is that you want to make yourself better. <laughs> you, you know, so but that's a great exercise. Write down what's your mission statement? What's your why? And then really what's your what is what is what do I really do? You know, and that's just something to think through. Um, and stability is attractive. And so we see in this, in, in, a, in a developing leader, the number one characteristic is that they're unsh- unshakingly stable. They're very consistent people. Uh, the second thing, and we see this in Jesus of a developing leader, is that rather than uh, being a controlling person, they're a coaching person. Rather than being a controlling person, they're a coaching person. When we look at Luke chapter 10, and that's the, uh, the place that I've asked you to turn, this is the portion of scripture where Jesus sent out the 70. So he's leading a group of people here, and he's raising them up to be leaders. So they're following him so that they can lead. And what Jesus does with these uh, 70 people that he's raising up and sending out is he's developing them. And what he does in Luke chapter 10 in the first 12 uh, verses as he's preparing to send them out is he is giving them the, the classroom portion of the instruction. And so what he's doing in the first verses there is that he's giving them their mission. He's telling them what they're going to be doing. And then he gives to them a mindset a mentality, a way that they're to to go about it uh, mentally. Then he's giving them a list of priorities. He's saying, hey, don't worry about money when you go. Don't worry about creature comforts. Don't worry about where you're going to stay. Don't worry about the logistics of things. Keep your mind set on your mission. Keep your mindset on your why, essentially, is what Jesus gives to them there. He gives them priorities. And then finally, he gives them boundaries. He tells them, these are the places that you're to go, and these are the people that you're to talk to, but don't talk to this group and these people right now. That's actually not in Luke. It's in the parallel passage in Matthew where he says, don't talk to the Gentiles, go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And he kind of tells them where to go. And he gives them boundaries. So he gives them a mission, a mindset, priorities, and boundaries And that's as far as he goes with the classroom part of it. And then he says, now get in the game and go learn. And that's what a coach does. A coach gives you the essentials of what you need. And then a good coach puts you in the game and says, now go figure it out. And that's what Jesus does with these guys here. This is how Jesus develops us. He puts us in the game. He tells us in the word, what is our mission? Where are the boundaries? What are our priorities? What's our mentality to be? And then he throws us into the game to learn how to do it. Don't you wish Jesus gave you a little bit more instruction about marriage before he gave you a spouse? But he gives you a couple things, some guidelines, some mentality, and then he gives you a spouse. And he says, now go figure it out. And you Lord, how do I do this? You'll figure it out. Don't you wish he gave you a little bit more before you have a couple of kids? 
<laughs> you know, but he doesn't. He, he gives you a few guidelines. He gives you a little bit of insight. And then he gives you lives, human beings, souls to steward and take care of. You know, and sometimes you, you wish that he would kind of give you a little bit more. But he's a coaching leader. He's not a controlling leader. And so he, he lets us make mistakes. He lets us grow in our leadership. He gives us room for failure and room to expand, room to grow in the way that we do things. And so the principle in all of this, in Jesus being a coaching and not a controlling leader, is that he realizes that some things are taught, but most things are caught. In other words, we learn by doing. And that's exactly how Jesus dealt with these 70 that were sent out. And in it, he gave them permission to fail and room to rise. You know, I, I find another interesting thing about the way Jesus was developing these people is that he didn't micromanage their mission. He, he gave them very loose guidelines and he gave them a lot of latitude to operate within it. Do you notice that if you read the passage there in Luke chapter 10, do you realize that there's absolutely no mention of how they're to do any of the things that he's asking them to do. He tells them to go preach, but he doesn't give them one word of how they're to preach. He tells them to heal, but he doesn't tell them one word of how to heal. He tells them to cast out demons, but he doesn't give them even one word of how they're to do it. Think about the Great Commission, what Jesus gives to all of us. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Spirit, you know, teaching them to observe whatever I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. He gives you a what, go and preach and make disciples and teach. And he gives you a where, to the ends of the earth. But there's not one word of how in it at all. And he gives us an amazing amount of latitude when it comes to how we're going to do all of those things. Why? Because every one of us is different. And I'm so thankful. We're going to talk more about this when we get into uh, the, 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 not probably next week, because next week will be part two of what we're discussing this morning. Not next week, but you guys get the idea. Next time. And then the time after that, we're going to talk about the secret of good leadership, being good leaders. We're going to talk more about this then. But Jesus never gives the how, which gives us incredible freedom and how we go about doing what it is that he's called us to do. But he teaches us uh, in, in the coaching mentality. Notice in verse 17 of Luke chapter 10, notice what it says. Do you see there? It says that the 70 returned again with joy. Do you see that? I want you to mark that because that's a sign of a good leader. A sign of a good leader when those that are following you are enjoying what they're doing. You're doing a good job. You know, they didn't come back with fear, hoping that they did it right. They didn't come back with fear thinking, oh my goodness, he is going to pick this thing apart to, uh, you know, I don't even want to hear my stats on how I did in this whole thing. It says that they returned again with joy. And Jesus was such an empowering leader in the way that he led them, that that was the result of his leadership uh, on things. And so Jesus was a coaching leader, not a controlling one. Number three is that rather than being critical of those that were being trained up, he gives constructive feedback. So he was constructive, not critical. Notice again in verse 17 of chapter 10 what it says there. It says that the 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through your name. And so they come back and they're absolutely astounded by what they were able to do 
uh, with the authority that Jesus imparted to them. And notice Jesus' response to this. It says that he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Now, this is going to be a correction that he's going to give them. But you don't even really realize it yet. You don't know it until like the third line in it. He goes on in verse 19 and he says, Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you notwithstanding, or nevertheless, in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. And then in verse 21 and 22, he prays for them, literally rejoicing that God has given them the ability to understand and to do what they're doing. And then in verse 24, he affirms them this way. Look at verse 24. He says, for I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see the things that you see and have not seen them and to hear the things that you hear and have not heard them. Now, here's what's going on in this whole uh, interaction, this debriefing after the fact, is that these guys are ecstatic about the success of their endeavor. They had gone out, they had been fruitful, they had accomplished, and now they return and they express to Jesus the joy of seeing the mission succeed. But Jesus sees that their rejoicing is centered on the wrong thing. They're in, they're in danger. There's a vulnerability in them to get high on their successes and not on their identity. That They're going to get high on what they're doing, not in who they're doing it for or why they're doing what they're doing. And he sees the need to correct them. But what I want you to notice is this, is that in his way of correcting, constructively adjusting what it is that they were doing, he gives four words of affirmation for one word of constructive criticism. First of all, he affirms their authority. He says, I give to you power and authority to tread on serpents and, and, and cast out demons. In other words, I'm not taking away anything that I've given to you. He, he says that to them, first of all. So he reinforces their authority and then also their calling. He says, nothing is by any means going to hurt you. Nothing is going to take you out of the game. So I'm not taking away your authority and I'm not taking away the calling that I initially gave to you. Then he encourages them in the whole thing. And, and then he says to them very gently, he says, listen, guys, there's a better source for your inspiration than the success of your ministry. There's a better source of inspiration than the success of what you did. Rather, the inspiration and the thing that you should rejoice in is that your name is written in heaven that you have a place in eternity, that you're going to be by the Father's side, that you're favored of him, that you've been accepted by him, that you're adopted as sons and daughters. That's the place of your, 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 your greatest inspiration. Then after giving them that thing to consider and to, and to think through, he then prays for them, blesses them, and affirms them. And here's the principle. When you and I are going to constructively build up someone who maybe isn't doing things the right way, 
The way to do it is to show them first what they did right and then discuss what they could do better. That's what Jesus does. He doesn't come down and say, you know what, you guys, you guys are way too green to be out doing what you're doing right now, if that's your mentality. He doesn't do that. He doesn't criticize them. He builds them up, and then he helps them understand what's better. That's the way Jesus does it. So he's not critical. He's constructive. We're not going to go any further with that this morning. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll pick it up in our, in our time next time together, and we'll look at the other attributes of Jesus' uh, constructive um, ministry and the way that he was a developing leader. But just by way of application this morning, as we consider uh, just the things that we've heard thus far, I ask you the question, how is your stability as a developing leader? Are you secure in your identity? Do you know who you are? Are you consistent in the way that you operate and in the way that you behave? And do you know your mission? It's a good question for us to ask ourselves is how is our stability? Are we stable, the kind of people that, uh, that, that, that can lead? Um, second of all, I ask this question. Um, are you, this morning, sitting here, are you in the game and are you growing as a leader in your area of service? First of all, are you serving at all? Is there a place where you're in the game, where Jesus has commissioned you even to do something simple uh, as, as you're growing and as you're learning? Are you serving him uh, in some capacity at all? I'm talking outside of just raising a family and being a husband and working a job, but is there a place where you're serving someone else and in the process of that, uh, being developed, learning as you grow, as you follow Jesus Christ? Are you in the game at all? And then the second part of that is if you are, then are you growing as a leader in your area of service? Some of you that are, are here this morning, I know that you're ushers that are here in the, in the church. And I ask you, what's the mission behind the ministry? If that's your area of service, then what's the reason? Why, why are you an usher? What does an usher do? What's the purpose of it? Is it just courtesy or is it hospitality? I mean, think about it for just a minute. If you were, if you were at your house where you live and, and you had a guest, right, come by your house that was unexpected. So someone just knocks at your door and you open up the door. How would you treat that person? You know, obviously you would treat them with courtesy and with respect and, you know, you might offer them some water or, or, or drink or whatever or if they have to use the bathroom or you would exchange cordially, you'd, you know, converse with them for a minute and, and, and whatever the case might be. But that's, you know, you know how you would act if someone came unexpectedly. But now, what if you invited a guest over to your house for dinner or for fellowship or whatever, you know, for a Bible study? What would you do then? You would clean your house, you would make sure that there was food prepared, you would put out your best table settings, you would probably dress a certain way and maybe put on some music in the background. I mean, you would really want to make your home as inviting as possible and you would be looking out in every way to, you know, really bless the person that's coming to your house. It would be hospitality. Well, every Sunday morning here in the church... We're expecting guests, right? We're expecting new people to come to the church. We invite, we say to invite, and so we're constantly expecting guests to come. Well, if you're an usher in the church, that's your ministry is to make a first-time guest feel like a guest in your home. 
So is it just a, a courtesy or do I want this person to feel a particular way? What, what, what am I looking out for? What's the mission behind the ministry? Do I prop the door open or do I personally open the door for each person that comes that makes each person feel just the small things that make a person feel special or a person feel welcomed? As a, just an usher, just in that simple place where you think, well, it's almost nothing. It's just something to do. It's to wear a black shirt and a badge and it's entry level ministry, you know, but just as an usher, are you growing in leadership in that position? Do you look at it with the eyes of how can I lead here? How can I improve? How can we as ushers improve? And how can I just do that even without being told? How can I make ushering a more impactful area of service in this church. And just to ask yourselves those questions, realizing that Jesus is not calling me to follow, he's calling me to lead. How can I be a leader in this area of my service? Now, that's just one example. But there's many other areas of service just within this church that are so thirsty for leadership where there's just a leadership vacuum in things. I think of just in our church, the, the big area, there's this entire corner of this whole harvest field of Calvary Chapel, the Hudson Valley, of small groups and home groups that is completely untouched. It's, there, there's, no, there's absolutely no program in existence today to foster, build up, and lead home groups. But yet, think about what a vital part of ministry it is for people to be getting together house to house and forming more intimate relationships than can be fostered on a Sunday morning and a Wednesday night only. Do you know that one of the biggest things that closes the back door of a church, the back door of a church is is people leave, people leaving a church. You know, one of the biggest things that closes the back door of a church is relationships. You can talk to someone who goes to a church where there's been scandal, there's been financial mishandlings, there's been adultery in the leadership, and yet people stay in the church. And you say, why in the world would you stay in a church like that? And you know what the number one answer is? Because my friends go to church here. There, there's, not a, there's not a better way to close the back door of a church than to foster relationships. Where does that happen? It happens in the small groups. And yet that's a whole area of ministry in this farm field of this church that's completely untouched, just waiting for a leader to come up and say, hey, you know what? I, I could foster that. I could build that. I could, I could ask God for a vision and how we could have a thriving small groups mission and ministry here at Calvary Chapel. Another area, huge, is children's ministry. You know, we have a children's ministry here, and we have a good children's ministry here. But there's a great void of, of, of solid leadership where someone just simply says, you know, I want to lead in that area and take the mission of making every child that walks through the glass doors of this building feel, not here, not just we say it, but they feel a sense of value, that they're valued by God and that they're valued by us. I want every child that walks through those doors to be infused with Bible truth as much as we can give them in the time that, that they have. And I want every kid that walks through those glass doors to have fun, to be in here and to, 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 say, to say to their parents that that was the funnest experience I have ever had in my life outside of my house or in a church building or in a place where I heard about God or where I heard the Bible taught. And, and, and to make it so. And to say, no, this is our mission. This is our why. You know what's amazing thing about kids ministry and why it's an amazing opportunity to serve and evangelize? 
Because parents will never be able to successfully drag their kids to church. They, they might drag them to church, right? But kids can easily drag their parents to church. And it's an amazing opportunity to lead. And it's something, it's, there's an opportunity. We have this whole area in our church of follow-up. We have visitor cards that we put in the back of the seats. And there's like four or five a week that, you know, that are, are handed in. And we send a letter. We do. We take them and we send a letter. We say, we're so glad that you came. But there is such an amazing opportunity. If someone fills out a visitor card and puts their phone number and their address on it, for someone to say, you know what? You know, I'm going to make sure by 4 o'clock on a Sunday afternoon, someone goes to their house and brings them, you know, so, you know brings them some information about the church or a, a mug or, or something, you know, and, and, and not go inside or whatever, but just say, hey, so glad that you came. You know, there is, why do I say these things? There is so much room in just this harvest field for leadership. And God is calling us to lead. And he's given us the ability. He's given us the latitude. He's given us the freedom to do it within the, the, uh, the parameters of our own giftings and, and enablings. It's an amazing thing. Um, I, I shared Wednesday night from Genesis 1.28 where God said to Adam, he said, I, I have given you uh, the, 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 the charge, he said, to subdue the earth and to have dominion. He said, subdue the earth and have dominion in the earth. And what it literally is, is harness the elements and then create space. Take what I've given, what I've laid out before you, and do something with it. And so part of what Jesus is saying to you and I is, listen, I'm calling you not to be a follower. I'm calling you to be a leader. And I've given you dominion, so take the elements and make something happen. And so here's the principle. Jesus didn't come to gain followers. He came to build leaders. And if he's called you, then he wants to make you a leader and that a good one, a good leader. So we'll, we'll, we'll talk more about this next time. Part two of what a developing leader looks like. And then after that, we'll talk about uh, the secret of being a good leader as we continue in the Bible. So 